I became somebody known as being trustworthy and worthy of trust. And that was the superpower. Everybody thinks that there's something, you know, super special or what's the trick. There is no trick. It's just doing what you love and what you believe in and what you do well and presenting it in a consistent, Mm. fair, inclusive way. Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. Kara, we are so excited to have you today on the Artist Becoming podcast. Um, We're sitting here with with Kara today, who is many, many words. I I don't even know where to begin, but formerly classically trained as a ballet dancer. And um, I I met Kara at a summer program at the San Francisco Ballet School. So we go very far back, but haven't really sat down for a conversation until this moment. I have been following along uh, as Kara has created a platform called Range. Um, She is an entrepreneur. She is a wellness advocate, uh, creator, uh, community leader. Like there's just a million ways to describe Kara, but she has really intentionally built a platform that we're going to dive into, Kara, your beliefs and your intention behind why you built what you built. But to start, we would just... First, want to honor you for for how inspiring and expanded we both are by you. And um, why don't we ground this conversation by starting at the beginning and perhaps your roots as a ballet dancer and what led you on this path to where you are today? Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm deeply honored, and you know, as a former dancer. I- I completely acknowledge that so much of where I am today is because my uh, because of my years as a ballet dancer and what I learned, but also what I learned to move away from to kind of carve a new pathway in my life. So um, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and so I was put into Boston Ballet right at the ripe age of three. Um, just as many young girls are and realize that that was really where my heart lived and made it all the way up through um, the pre-professional program at Boston Ballet. But one thing that I always knew about myself was that I probably wasn't going to take the professional pathway. And so After years of dancing at Boston Ballet, I went on to becoming a um, classical ballet major at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas, and then minored in business. Um, And it was all during those years that, you know, we learned things like work ethic and discipline and artistry and creativity and the ability to communicate with our bodies and the spoken word, you know, of learning poise, but there were a couple of other dark things that I learned and embodied through ballet that when I ultimately decided to give it up, um, it kind of filtered 
pretty naturally into where I found myself in my early 20s as a Pilates instructor. So that's kind of um, an intro, a very brief intro into the first chapter of my life. Um, and then I can continue onwards from there, but... <laughs> I, I'm interested to hear a little bit of about the darkness, the darkness that you learned or inherited or embodied. Can you shed some light on absolutely. that? <laughs> I think it's something that absolutely everybody who not only grew up in the ballet world, I'm not going to limit it to that, into the entire dance world, and then also in the arts as a whole, are always told your strengths. You're told your strengths, but your weaknesses are really the things that are that are highlighted. And unfortunately, those are the things that really stick with you. And for me, you know, I, I live in a petite body, but I don't live in the body that was designed for classical ballet. You know, I had broad ribs and I had hips and I had boobs and I was always told you're so talented but and that but was always due to my physical body and you know at age 31 I'm still living with that but you could have the quote-unquote perfect body which is something that I so no longer believe in but when you're told something like that from eight years old onwards, that doesn't just leave your body and that trauma lives inside of your physical body. It lives inside of your nervous system. And I'm still learning to process the pain that I endured from always being told, you're so talented, but... And that was is really the, the darkness that... Um, I feel is the thing that I took away the the most from, from uh, let's say on a negative light in terms from the, the classical ballet world, so many positives, endless. I wouldn't change a single thing about my upbringing, but that but is still so painful. Oh. <laughs> I really, um, I, I might cry. Yeah, I, I honestly, when you're speaking, it's so, it's so interesting, like where I'm feeling it in my body, because that butt is, it lives in me. It, it's like, what's that song? It lives in it me. It lives in me. Lion King. <laughs> oh, it's Lion King. I feel it. I feel it right here in the middle of my chest. And I, I literally feel it like an egg. This is an odd metaphor, but I feel like an egg cracked and like the yolk is kind of spreading, spreading outwards. And what's interesting is that can also be such a yummy feel. It's interesting how pain and, and love can live in the same part of your chest. Cause I've also felt moments where like in a kiss or something where I feel the yolk crack there and I'm like, Oh, mm -hmm. that's the warm yolk. Mm -hmm. But right now it's not the warm yolk. And um, what I find interesting is like our relationship to criticism as a dancer and how how that evolves and how we entangle that over the course of our of our life. Because I wonder what what y'all's relationship was to criticism, because I think at a younger age, there was a there was an, a, a period of time, let's say like 15 to 18, where those criticisms, those butts were very fueling. And 
I almost took them and I like bit my teeth around them. And it was like, I had this kind of I'll show you mentality. And that's just the kind of underdog sort of thing that, that I, that I was fired up about. Like I, I enjoyed that underdog kind of like, I'll show you mentality, but there is a point where there's a burnout from, from trying so hard to conform or be what, what you just simply are not, or, or allow, I don't know. There's just a point where that, that you lose the ability to, to fight back against it. And you realize like, I'm just, I'm too tired to, to, to. You also realize what is within your control and what's outside of your control. Mm. I think that that was the thing that ate away at me and made me hyper-focus on this was this was my skeletal structure. Yeah. I can't change that and nor should I ever have to. And that is the thing, you know, I remember looking at, was it Lorena Feiju? Yeah, yeah. Lorena. The only times that I remember seeing like my shoulders represented in classical ballet and she became like a, a muse for me. Um, but it's so funny is that this, this is actually the first time that I have talked about this in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the pain is still so there. I've removed myself and like, it was so poetic. The last time that I ever danced was alongside my very best friend and I quite literally took off my point shoes and threw them in the trash. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> and I never stepped foot in a studio ever again. After I graduated from college, I still to this day have not stepped foot back into a ballet studio. Oh, it was just like, yeah. I'm done. I'm done. And it's interesting. I'm now 31 and I have started thinking to myself, I think I might be ready to enter the dance world again, but it would never be ballet again. I fell in love with a modern teacher in college, Susan Douglas Roberts. If you listen to this, I hated you at the time, but my God, you were the best (laughs) teacher I've ever had. And I, she, I think of her and I use what she taught me every single day and what I'm doing now So I still feel within the dance bubble, but I had to create a harsh boundary to protect myself from classical ballet and just close that door. And to this day, I have zero, zero regrets for closing that door. I'm actually really freaking proud of myself for closing that door. Yeah. I think that kind of hard boundary is something that so many artists struggle with for some it's rigid for others. It's porous. And, you know, what's kind of coming up for me in these reflections that you're sharing is that, you know, you can move on with your life, 10, 15 years evolved from one identity, but what you learn about yourself viscerally, like become core memories and Hmm. narratives really stick, right? Because we're meaning makers. So as soon as we make form a narrative out of something so that we can better understand it. It's hard to then shed that narrative um, Absolutely. So it, with feedback and criticism or, you know, your big like, but capital B, um, you know, I'm thinking of times when, when I was very young 
and I would be corrected a lot. I was so offended. It was like, I could do nothing right. But then I realized, oh no, this means that I have enough talent that this teacher is investing in me. So I actually, Mm -hmm. I want the critique. So now Mm -hmm. I'm thirsty for critique and critiques generally, as you said, not a highlight of the strengths, a highlight of the weaknesses and how that's translated beyond dance into, you know, I'll be sitting for job interviews and they're like, so, you know, how are you with feedback? And I'm like, ha, ha, how long do you have? Like, <laughs> I love, love it. Seek well, it out. I would actually it all over my body. I would love to talk on this a little bit more as we talk about how like my business has evolved because that is so valuable, but I really just want to say, and I said this to Ben, my fiance the other day, that any company in any field would be so lucky to hire a ballet dancer or any sort of dancer, really any sort of artist, truthfully, Um, because our ability to take criticism in a positive light and adapt and not take everything so personally is what makes us the best bunny ears employees or part of a team. Because I mean, hello, we all, you know, experience being in the core. That's the ultimate teamwork. And yeah, so I'd love to, I'd love to touch on that a little bit later too, because that is so valuable. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to swoop, swoop over to the the point in your story where you then built range, built your business and discovered sort of your movement practice and, and how you've shared that. But, but just to touch on what you just said, what I also think is like the double-edged sword there is like, we are the best employees um, for, for those reasons of that ability to take feedback and the adaptability. And it's kind of what makes I am discovering it's a challenge. It's it presents a challenge, which is folks, <laughs> friends, you know, people that are dear to me, um, that were not dancers that are in, you know, corporate America or or whatever you might say, they know how to also push back against criticism in a way that's like, no, I, I'm not gonna do that. Whereas I'm like, oh, uh, higher, longer, faster, you know. And I think um there's also something to be learned for being autonomous and having ownership and and applying and digesting feedback, but also like knowing when what you've done is enough and and being able to hold that boundary. And I think I've found as as a former dancer that I've struggled sometimes in a work environment to to hold the boundary because I'm used to going much further than I'm comfortable with. And, you know, Shelby and I talk about that all the time. So learning how to know your worth. And again, this will go to your to your business, but learning, you know, how to own your worth and acknowledge what your value is. And um, yeah, I think that that's, that's something that I've struggled with integrating in a workplace environment where I, I can hold boundaries and ask for, for what I deserve and things like that. Um, yeah. But anyways, oh, I, I goodness. You speak so much truth. Um, So my career has taken a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a funny beginning. After I gave up ballet, I thought that I wanted to be a normal person and join corporate America. So I sold for seven months. I sold payroll services for ADP in Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas. And so I went from dancing all day long to sitting in my car all day long. 
In the wave of depression that hit me so quickly, I went from one extreme to the other without anything in the middle. And after seven months, <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. And that's when I started my Stop Pilates um, certification up in Toronto. So I was going to and from Dallas and Toronto um, before ultimately deciding to move back to Boston and making that my home base because I had a fabulous Pilates studio that I was able to be an apprentice at. And that's what really launched my career as a full-time instructor. But I then brought that same work ethic that you were just talking about, the lack of boundaries, into my career for seven years. I taught 35 to 40 classes and clients five or six days a week. And it really, it took me about five years to go down from six days a week to five days a week. Um, and it was this constant battle of, I was so proud of myself and I loved the speed and the energy of all of that. Um, and I made those decisions for myself to work at to continue to work at that level. Um, and as a result of that dedication, I built the most gorgeous network of hundreds of people in Boston who were so loyal to taking my classes. And I was so insanely loyal to them to the point that I just kept adding on classes, adding on locations to be able to teach more, more, and more. But the kicker was that I had such a hard time, despite bringing in all of these people, the pay was really inadequate. Yeah. And so I was having a very hard time supporting myself financially for the current time, but also for the future. I mean, saving was like absolutely hell no. Um, and so it was really interesting. I, I pushed so much and I built this incredible community in Boston, which then helped me so much with range. But it was this constant battle of not, of not being treated fairly. And I know that, you know, obviously in the arts, there's not a lot of funding. There's not a lot of money. And the fitness industry is the same way, which is shocking because it brings so much money in. But like teachers aren't really seeing so much of that, which is so unfortunate. Um, and I'm, you know, it's been a few years now since I've been outside of the fitness industry uh, in like a mainstream way. So I hope that things are shifting, but I, I'm not sure. Um, but I quickly realized, well, not quickly, it took me years, but before the pandemic began about maybe like a year or two before I began to realize that moving at that level, moving at that speed was not sustainable, but I didn't know what my options were because I wasn't bringing in enough money mm -hmm. to stop. And so the, the internal battle, and it was actually in 2018 that I developed debilitating anxiety and started experiencing my first panic, panic attacks because I was teaching at such a high level and so often that I couldn't stop because that was ingrained in me to continue from ballet, as we know, until my body made the decision for me and was like, hey, girl, slow the fuck down. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. Um, 
And then the pandemic began and I am the most fortunate person in the world because I was able to create so much light in a really, really, really dark time. So I want to acknowledge that I was presented with a gift during a really terrible time in human history. So that is not lost on me in the slightest, but it enabled me for the first time in my life to work efficiently. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that looked like or what that could even look like in, in our line and the movement line of work. But now three years later, I'm living and, and breathing a much more sustainable lifestyle um, because I've been able to pivot and adapt to online, which is so much more efficient. Yeah. Oh, Kara, you really are a masterclass in, in pivoting, taking challenge and spinning it into gold is just what I hear as like a theme in your story is like taking these challenges, taking these hard, hard times or critiques or whatever that might be and digesting it and, and wrestling with it and then spinning it into something new. What a power, speaking of narrative, like what a powerful and articulate narrative of your journey. And a lot of this resonates. I, I teach yoga as well. I also benefited during a dark time to, you know, to share digital programming. However, it is very, it's also very isolating, right? You're not getting that same like pheromonal feedback of being in a room with bodies and seeing, you know, people's actual physical responses to your gifts. And so I think part of what has blown me away in following your work is that you've built this just incredible community. You've shared how so much of that was built of your, you know, blood, sweat, and tears of your time in Boston, teaching a billion classes for nothing and, and building this loyal in-person following. But now when we're thinking of your work in the digital sphere, becoming a bit of like a wellness influencer and an original creator of movement how do you stay, for lack of better words, authentic to yourself in this process, whether that's on social media, in conversation with community that's in an online forum space? Have have you had to kind of reconcile those shifts? You want to know what's so interesting is that I'm asked all the time how I've able, how I'm able to continue to be so true to myself. And I genuinely from the depths of my soul don't have an answer for better or for worse. I've always known who I am. Mm -hmm. And despite living with so many insecurities, I am secure in who I am in at like a DNA deep level. Mm -hmm. And I log on to social media. I log on to Instagram and feel as though I'm scrolling through the same thing over and over and over again. And that it feels like so many folks are chasing going viral. But when you go viral, there is a huge um, removal of your own personal safety. Yeah. And for me, safety online has always been my kind of my North star that the moment that somebody no longer makes me feel safe online is when I'm, I'm out, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm out, it's over. And so I have 
realized that by solely being myself and showing up as human, because I am incredibly human, that I am then met with the same respect from people online. Now, have I gone viral? No. Will I ever go viral? Probably not. Do I want to go viral? Hell fucking no. Because (laughs) it's similar to what happened in Boston is that just through actually cultivating relationships with people in a genuine way, things were able to grow. And so I might, in the grand scheme of the internet world, I have an incredibly small following, but they are some of the most beautifully loyal, generous, accepting, inclusive people on the planet. And so because I am met with that human kindness, it makes it so easy for me to just show up on an online space and be exactly who I am every single day. It's not, truth be told, it's not even something that I hold any brain space for me. It just is. And it just happens because it's not forced. It's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I I want to hear a little bit more about range and how range came to life and the community you've built very much around what you believe in and what you're creating. But, you know, I think we're living in a world right now where influencer is like a line of work, basically. And it's a path that people are, are choosing like it's a specific decision to want to go viral, to create things that you hope will be rapidly consumed and bought in by millions for no, I'm not really sure for what reason. And I think that that's not what you've done. You know, you've created something that you super deeply intentionally from the DNA of who you are, believe in, you live through that You live through creating that and through aligning with people who absorb that and find value in that. And uh, yeah, it just resonates because I think for anyone out there that might be creating something of their own right now, I know we have lots of people who engage with Artists Becoming who are dancers who have gone on to create their own businesses or who are transitioned into new chapters of their lives. And Artists Becoming is an example of that for us. Like, We just do this because we believe in it and we want to talk to people that expand us and inspire us. And we want to pull people in who share our history or are keen to deeply understand the history from which we've lived and hear the journey of artists. But if we were to approach this from an angle of going viral, I really don't, I have no idea what that would look like or (laughs) what the heck we would talk about, but it certainly wouldn't be this, you know? No. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of wild. Um, it's really it inspiring. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. And your words are very generous. So thank you. I, the day that this all started is so vivid in my memory. So March 13th, 2020 was when at least in Boston, that's like when the shutdown happened. And I was sitting with Ben, my fiance on our couch, and I was having a martini and I was crying because I was like, what the heck am I going to do? There goes all my years of hard work down the tubes. You know, how am I going to support myself? What am I going to do? And it was actually Ben's idea. He was like, well, why don't you just go on Instagram live and teach a class? 
like, okay. And uh, so I did the next morning at 9.30 a.m. And I think it was roughly about 250 people joined in because everybody was craving some sort of normalcy in a time of their life that was so scary um, and where everybody felt so unsettled and uprooted and their nervous systems were all unregulated and everybody was just a panicked mess, myself included. And so from a selfish standpoint, I was like, well, what can I do? I can teach that I know how to do because that feels safe and normal for me. So I did. And then I just kept on going. And in the first few weeks, I had like 4,000 new followers just in like the first two weeks alone because people just kept sharing. And it was all of those people in Boston. But then it was those people in Boston that shared with their friends and their family. And then it was those people who shared with their friends and their family. And then that's how all of this organic growth happened and continues to happen. I have put $0 into marketing over the last three years. And now Range welcomes thousands of members of from over 65 countries, 100% through organic growth. And there was no trick. There was no, you know, you know, I can... I can go on and say, you know, the movement industry is really um, an interesting field because there's no barrier for entry. Anybody can come on and teach a class. And I chose to be really informed. I took my education really seriously. I take my continued education really seriously. You know, yes, I am a Pilates instructor, but it's also mobility, functional movement, strength, nervous system support. It's so multifaceted that you can't put it into a box. But there's no magic trick. You can be the smartest person in the world. You can have the best idea in the world, but there's one magic word. And to this day, I think that that's the trick is consistency, the power of consistency. During a really dark time, I told myself, what would be sustainable? And for me, that felt like four days a week. So four days a week at 7.15 roughly a.m., I went on to Instagram Live and taught a class. Three years later, I'm still doing four days a week, roughly 7.15 a.m. And it, I became somebody known as being trustworthy and worthy of trust. And that was the superpower. Everybody thinks that there's something, you know, super special or what's the trick. There is no trick. It's just doing what you love and what you believe in and what you do well and presenting it in a consistent, mm -hmm. fair, inclusive way. And so during that time, I wasn't taking payments. I, you know, it was a free platform. And so at the end of every class, I would simply say, if you would like to contribute to my small business, please shoot me a message. And so I would provide, I never once posted my Venmo or PayPal publicly. That did not feel true to me. But I had all of these people start to, you know, pay $3 here, $5 here, $10 here. And that's how I was able to financially support myself and then begin to build out the platform range. 
Um, so I started building a library through a GoPro that Ben had gotten for a vacation. And that was, that was it. And then seven months later, uh, roughly October 1st, 2020, I launched range and the rest was history. And it, again, I can't begin to stress it enough that there was no secret sauce, just being consistent, being genuine, being fair, being inclusive, just being a good person. (laughs) It's that's it. That's it. I think I'm just, I'm so refreshed by this story and hearing the foundations of your platform, because I think that there's so many reasons why people would not even try, right? Like digital fitness, digital wellness became such a saturated market. I have my own reservations about being a white blonde American female. And like, that's the last thing we need more, you know, things like that, (laughs) but I'm being fully honest. And, and I think that, you know, the common thread through your story is approaching your work with education trust and safety. And these are often not words we associate with the social media world. Like in fact, it's often quite the opposite of those things. And so it makes sense if these are the ingredients of this, you know, secret sauce recipe that people are looking for, how you make it work with such a dedicated discernment and passion for what you're doing to build something so meaningful and to serve a community that you truly care about. I mean, I think it's, it's so refreshing to hear this version of success. Like, oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I have to say that I, I'm very emotional right now because truth be told, I think that it will be 25, 30 years before any of this actually hits me. Because for me, I was just continuing to do what I do. I am a teacher I embody the word teacher in every way. I just genuinely love helping, guiding, facilitating, creating a safe space for people, whatever it is. And it's funny, my dad, who is my number one cheerleader, always told me, doing whatever you love will lead you to success. And success means so many different things. I feel like the first way that that took um, place in my professional life was when I was able to knock down from six days a week to five days a week. That was success. And then it was um, being able to take a vacation without completely feeling panicked. That's success. Then it was saying no, that's success. And then it was being able to work less and be more efficient and make these pivots and that's success. And then I always feel really guilty about saying what I'm about to say right now, but I think that it is incredibly important as a woman to say this, but I bought our damn house that's success. And that day when I closed on the house, somebody sent me a rotten message and I received very little hate, but somebody sent me a message 
must feel nice to buy a house with daddy's money. And I can't remember how I responded, but that (laughs) feeling of, no, 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 I did this on my own without my dad, without my male partner. Like I, I, this is something that I was able to do on my own by forging my own path and being 100% myself along the way. And I often feel, and I still feel immense guilt for saying that out loud, but how important I think that is, because sometimes I feel like the world still isn't ready for a woman that can do it on her own, but how important it is to voice that, hell yeah, she can. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You are so badass. I, you are badass. Like, and I still feel like I can't even look at you both because I feel so embarrassed saying that. And there's so much guilt and that's being a woman living with guilt, like living with guilt. If a man bought his own house, you don't blink an eye, but if a woman does, Oh, somebody must have done that for her. Mm -hmm. You are an expander to me. You're so badass. Like, I think what I'm not, I'm not, that's the thing. I'm not even in the slightest, (laughs) but this is what's badass about you. Let me tell you, because this is what it is. It is that you, you own yourself. You own yourself. Like you own what you believe in. You own like the thing that was so meaningful to me about everything you just said was the moment when you said, I'm a teacher. Like, you know what you believe in, you know, you've, you've like wrapped your whole self around your purpose. You feel that purpose clear. I think it's really hard for people to actually be able to speak into words what they believe in. It's really hard to wrap yourself around a true North Star, like inner core purpose that you can live out of. And I think what you've done is you've hold all these pieces of yourself through your life journey together into what is a very singular core understanding of your purpose, which is I am a teacher. And then you've lived that and you've created from that and you've leaned into that and you've called in from that. And you found power, like self power and autonomy through that. And I think um, it's so much more it's, it's this outside in thing. I think we so often reach all around outside ourselves to go, well, how do I get the house? And how do I, uh, how do I make the money? And how do I this, instead of coming from like that inside out, which is like, well, that's actually something that I, I, I think that that's something that's really important to kind of touch on that. If you begin something, whatever it is, creative, it could be anything. If you have a thought and you want to turn it into something. I have found through just simply being a witness that if your North Star is popularity, money, whatever, is that it's so much harder to get to because it's never going to be enough. And so people always ask me, like, what's the dream? What's next for range? And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I genuinely have no idea, but 
I wish that we could all just kind of like pause and stop for a moment to just like be so appreciative for like what we do have living in the moment rather than constantly seeking out like what's next. Um, that's something that I remind myself of every day because obviously I am not immune to, I get so frustrated easily. I get down on myself. It's obviously still incredibly hard for me to have my body on display on range, despite doing so much work and feeling so much better about where I am. That's still, you know, really hard. I have imposter syndrome 55,000 times per day, but Keeping that North Star, like to what you just said, Jess, which is so funny because you were able to articulate like what I actually haven't even thought about myself, that I am a teacher. That's my North Star. I'm a teacher. And continuing to just chase that or keep that right in the center of my brain space rather than all of the other noisy things around it. Um, yeah, it's just, again, I, wake me up in 35 years when I've maybe processed this. <laughs> That's actually why I have a hard time being on podcasts, by the way, is because it's, and I love doing them, um, but it's very hard for me. And I know that this is obviously that people aren't going to see a recording, but I keep looking down because I still have a really hard time. Like, you know, it's one thing from a performance quality, you know, we've all being on stage where you're you're the center of attention, but that doesn't mean that that's who we are at our core. I actually realized when I gave up ballet that I am way more introverted than I ever thought that I was mm -hmm. and kind of going through, holy shit, I'm not the most social person on the planet. And maybe I was just like faking it for years because of ballet. I don't know. I was just going to comment on how, you know, I think teachers are superheroes. doesn't matter what you're teaching. It's, it's an act of service. It's, it's a consistency of giving of yourself. And so I'm curious of the ways in which you fill your own cup when you've made a business out of pouring what's in yours and in, into other people's, how have you been able to create healthy or sustain healthy boundaries between your personal life and your professional life, especially when you are your product? you know, and as artists, we are our product. And so it's different. It's one thing when you're working for a company as an artist, it's another thing when that company is yourself. So just curious. Yeah. I, it's a very good question. It's a completely valid question, but I think because I, I, like I said before, I feel so safe by the people who are choosing to be on range. And that like brings me to something that I'm just thinking of that um, things like financial assistance are available to absolutely everybody who asks. I send out an email when your subscription is about to renew, which so many programs don't do that, but I really value transparency. And I want every single person who was on range to genuinely want to be there rather than feeling like it's just a subscription model that they let, let pass through their credit card every month. And this is bringing it to what you just said that because I feel so secure in the fact that everybody that's on my platform just genuinely wants to be there, I 
don't often feel so burnt out in the way that I need to separate the personal from the professional because my professional relationship with my business is so healthy. I feel taken care of in the sense that people understand when I need to take a few days away to kind of hit the recharge button and nobody's like, well, you know, we expect to have six more classes on the platform before you go. Like there's nothing like that. And so I'm able to fill myself up and I absolutely will cry, but my dog changed my life. Um, Getting a dog, my beloved river. He got me outside. And caring for something other than yourself is so profound. Mm. that love is so pure oh my god I can't believe I'm crying so much over my dog but I love him so much (laughs) um learning to care for something other than yourself and other than your business was how I was able to kind of draw that boundary between personal and professional because prior to getting him I was spending every waking hour on my phone or on my computer doing business related things. But then when he became a member of our family, it was, you have to now separate to give this beautiful being attention. And the lessons that he taught me in taking care of him, but also taking the time to take care of myself and removing myself away from my computer and from my phone is just incredible. Yeah. I love dogs, if you can't talk. (laughs) I do too. I do too. I love, thank you for being so vulnerable. Um, I think it's, again, refreshing. And I think it's It's funny that you mentioned dogs because I feel like so many dancers have dogs. (laughs) I think, you know, it's a gift. It's a gift and a curse. We like to say a velvet handcuff, you know, to identify with a passion from a young age and then to make a career out of a passion. But what happens is, um, especially as an artist and we're, as I said, like you are the the product, it's, you are the focus as well. When you are the product, you are the focus and it becomes it inherently becomes this very selfish mindset, even though the art itself is an act of service and you're, you know, you're creating it to make other people feel joy and have proximity to awe. And it's this very selfless act of service, but in the process of getting there, it is an extremely selfish lifestyle. And so when you are Shelby, oh my gosh, (laughs) that you just explained something that I have not been able to grasp for years. Yeah. You are so right. Yeah. Dating helped me get clear on that. You know, just articulating my priorities where I'm like, no, it's, it's me. Like I need, my feet need to go up against the wall. (laughs) Um, And it's this incredible thing. So it's, it's refreshing when you have relationships, whether that is with a pet or a person or hobbies that you indulge for no other reason, other than they bring you joy or, you know, spark curiosity, it is beautiful to see that you've been able to do that for yourself as well. I'm also just super inspired by your Vermont lifestyle. And so for anyone who's listening and just wants really good, like thoughtful lifestyle, aesthetic, yummy nervous system content, Kara, Kara serves, Kara serves. 
Well, thank you. But that's, that's again, comes back to like, I'm currently living the life that I always dreamed for myself, but never thought that it would be possible. And, you know, I grew up with and was able to create what I've created due to the privilege that I have. And so that is incredibly important to acknowledge. Um, and so I sometimes get frustrated on social media when everybody's like, you can achieve this, you can achieve this if you just dream of this and X, Y, Z. I don't think that that is, um, I think that that's a, a, like a selfish way to say things that like I am incredibly fortunate to have been able to create something and and move to a place like this. And so I, and again, it comes back to the, what Shelby was saying, like of the selfish and then what it's, it's very hard for me to articulate in a thoughtful way because I'm still very much processing how I'm able to live this life without having an immense amount of guilt for having it. So Again, that probably wasn't the most eloquent way to describe that, but that is just something that I am still processing and probably will for a very long time. Anyways, um, it's hard taking compliments, isn't it? Well, we're we're bathing you in them, but but what I would love, I, I know we're kind of coming towards the end of this conversation, which is hard because I feel like there's 20,000 million things I want to ask you, but I think what might be a lovely reflection is just, I would love for you to share. Is there something that you've learned, like perhaps a mantra or or some piece of wisdom that you've held close that's been a lighthouse for you as you've navigated these chapters and evolutions of yourself and your career that you would want to pass forward? Um, some some piece of wisdom that you've held held close? It's so cliche, but the fact that this was the first thing that came to my brain just is trusting your gut. So when I was building out range, I brought on Megan Kemp, who is my website developer, right-hand woman, and she is one of the most wise women that I have ever met. And I feel as though she helped me grow up and learn who I was and accept who I truly was at my core. Um, and she would always tell me to just trust myself. Like, and it was just, just trust yourself. Like, you know, the decision that you're making, just trust yourself. But when I was building out range, I was trying to do everything the bunny ears right way what was going to be the right way? What was going to be the best way? And there was no way to kind of decide what that actually was. And so it was what feels the most true to me. But I was doubting that so much during the initial stages of, of building out range. And she was really the one who was just like, trust your gut, trust your intuition. And it's so cliche, but it is the most valuable piece of advice that I can provide from my own experience because I wanted to do everything but trust my gut. Yeah. And then I did because she helped me find that and navigate that. Um, 
and here I am. So thank you, Megan, if you listen to this. Um, I'm receiving that. <laughs> yeah. I'm receiving that too. I'm I need to that. That, that wisdom. I'm not somebody who really subscribes to the thought process of like having a certain mantra or a phrase that's not, that's never been who I am. Um, but I think that it comes back into having the understanding of who I am at a DNA level for better or for worse. And kind of keeping that as like my, my driving, like decision making, like I know the answer to this. If I am able to shove out all of the noise that wants to pull me away from that. Um, like I, I know what I'm doing on a cellular level, (laughs) you just listen (laughs) to yourself. Again, I know it's cliche, but I have found that it is true. Well, it's, I mean, you've shown that over and over again, right? We're guiding us through your, you know, your inner compass and the way that you came to making decisions to navigate these major intersections or threats to your career or obstacles to your growth. And time and again, it was, this is what I am. This is what I know I can do. This is what I can provide. And just kind of tapping into that yourself. And so on that, thank you for that, for that wisdom. Thank you for the generosity of your journey. And, um, for, for listeners who, um, who you are a gorgeous new face to, um, where can people follow you and where can they find range your platform? So you can find me um, at Kara Duval Pilates on Instagram. And then you, you could also just do caraduvalpilates.com, which is my website, uh, which brings you to range. But okay. you could also just go straight to range, which is range.caraduvalpilates.com. Lovely. Thank you wow. both so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. A couple of ways to keep connected with us at Artists Becoming. First one is here on the podcast. So go ahead and subscribe and write us a review to stay on top of our weekly guest artist conversations. And two, follow along with us on Instagram at Artists Becoming for sneak peeks and inspiring content. DM us if there are dream artists, athletes, performers, psychologists, wellness whoever, whoever it is that you'd love to hear from or topics that you'd like for us to unpack. We want to invest our time in conversations that enrich you. So let us know. And lastly, share, you know, fire up the group chat, share to your stories, comment, and just stay connected with us. We're here for your becoming.